Welcome to Chatterbox Hub. This podcast aims to be your go-to resource for insights, advice, and engagement with all things audio and not only. I'm Yulia Stancheva, a voice actor, presenter, and producer, and I will be your host in this episode. In this episode, I have the absolute pleasure of inviting the award-winning voice actor Della Phillips into our virtual studio. Della is not just a very talented professional, but an extraordinary woman whose life has been marked by many dramatic events and adventures, which have shaped her into the strong, resilient, and inspiring woman she is today. She is such a treasure trove of insights. So, without further ado, please welcome my guest. Hi, Della. I'm so happy to welcome you in our virtual studio today. How are you? I'm really well. Hello, Yulia. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. It's been a hard commute. It took me a ooh, two seconds to arrive, but yeah, I'm here. <laughs> no bumps on the road. Not too many. Smooth journey. No, no but I did drop my coffee. Never mind. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's strange times, isn't it? Thank goodness, though, because I mean, having been all set up for this. Well, we are, aren't we? We're always set up for this because this is what we do for a living. Some of us with with our remote studios. It's actually worked in our favour. And in fact, I'm talking to more people than I usually do. Fantastic. Can I reveal that actually you're not UK based, but you're residing in France? I am. Yes. I'm in France and it is very nice. You are certainly a multicultural person. You have been living in so many different countries. You grew up in Germany until the age of 12. What are your best memories from that period? Do you know, I was really lucky, Yulia, because my dad was a headmaster for the British Forces Education Service, or BFES, who incidentally had a radio station there called uh, BFBS, British Forces Broadcasting Service. And I used to listen to English radio out there, and, and it was great. Where I first had my first interview when I was about six, because I won a competition, and they interviewed me on the radio, and I b- grabbed the microphone and they couldn't get it off me. That was the <laughs> um, sign of God. <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, that was the, where it all began. But yeah, um, my dad was a headmaster there. And so I went to a really multicultural school. Being in Germany and my dad having such long holidays in the summer, we used to drive with a, he had an American car, which was so cool. And we had a caravan on the back and we used to literally be like gypsies in the summer and or in, in, in Easter. And we'd drive to Spain and France and well, all over Europe, through what was then Yugoslavia, down to Greece, and we'd spend six weeks on the beach. So we had a really, oh, I don't know, really Sounds exciting like a magical existence. childhood. It really was, yeah. And I thought that was just normal. I thought that's how life was when you were little. I had some really, really good friends that I grew up with, and uh, we were very free. We had a very free life, you know. We would go out in the morning and run away and play on our bikes or or on on derelict railway lines or whatever, and then come back for dinner because that's what it was like then. It was safe and and it was a really happy existence. You really made me nostalgic about the, these times when we really? were so free and happy to travel oh, around no. compared to the current situation where we are all in at the moment. Yes, it's 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 like being, I said to Sean yesterday, I feel like a caged cat, a wild cat that's dying to get out. 
How is in France at the moment? Well, today is the first day, the 11th of May, that uh, Macron has decided that we can now venture 100 kilometers from where we live instead of one kilometer and one person in the car and one person going shopping and no cycling and all that sort of stuff. It's been really, really strict here, which is good. I think he's handled the whole thing really, really well. And up till now, we've had to take a certificate with us uh, with tick boxes saying what we're doing, where we're going, what time we left the house, when we need to be back. Back, all that sort of stuff. Um, and there are roadblocks everywhere. So today, the 11th of May, is the first day that it's been lifted slightly where we can go a bit further afield. There aren't any more roadblocks. Uh, we don't have to take um, the certificate with us anymore. It feels so exciting just for that small... To get a little bit of freedom. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but you know, it's tinged with worry, uh, of course, because... I'm worried about there being a second peak, as is everybody. Yeah, it's a bit, it's, it's worrying times, but I'm, I'm quite excited that I can actually go out to one of my favorite shops, which has a sale on today. Which is, oh gosh, I can't even tell you. It's such a terrible shop. It's called, it's called Jiffy. And it's one of these shops that sells everything. It's a bit like, <laughs> it's a bit like Poundland, but more expensive. That's on the agenda today, once I finish working. Where about in France do you live? I'm right on the south coast. So the airport that we fly to down here is Nice. And I'm about an hour and a half west of Nice, near Saint-Tropez. So it's a beautiful part of the world. It's, it's really pretty. Um, it's quite quiet in the winter, but in the summer it's mad because it's just full of tourists. Um, but it's just so pretty. Why did you decide to live in France? Why France? Okay, well, as I said, when I grew up in Germany, we used to come to France all the time and we camped. As I got older and when I was 11, my mum and dad bought a static caravan down here. We were still um, holidaying down here. And then in 1990, my mum and dad bought a beautiful place just outside Saint-Tropez and they lived here until they passed away couple of years ago and uh, they left it to me. With the Brexit situation, which I obviously don't want to get political on this, but <laughs> um, I am a, a Remainer, obviously, uh, having lived and been brought up in, the, in Europe. I think it's very sad that you can't have that freedom of movement. We used to come here every year when my mum and dad lived here with the kids and I've grown up since I was young coming here. Then my kids have grown up all these years and now my grandson comes down here with his dad you know so it's a real generation thing and it's it's a beautiful place to be and it's a home for for us so we came here last year in um april i think it was about yeah about a year ago for a holiday and we were talking about brexit and we were looking at each other and we were really relaxed and having a really nice time and it sort of it was like that eureka moment We're really happy here. We love it here. Why do we live here? <laughs> so actually, we went back in May to, to our house and we literally sold everything. I mean, everything. We came with just a few things and... What a brave and bold move. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was really, really exciting, actually. You have also lived in Switzerland and you have worked in uh, the World Health Organization in the United Nations. Yes. So basically getting political and having these global views is not something new for you. No. What was it like for you to work oh. for the WHO? It was, it was a little bit um, surreal, to be honest with you. Um, just to give you some very quick background, my parents moved out there. My father took over a headship at the International School of Geneva. I helped them to move there. And then I went back home where I was working at IBM. And I had a very good career ahead of me and I was having a great time. But I fell in love with Geneva. I fell in love with 
being back in Europe, I decided, you know what, I'm going to pack this up. I was only 17, I suppose, uh, 18. And I got on a train and, I, and off I went. And I needed to work. And I went for an interview just for a temporary position at the World Health Organization. And I got the job and I loved it. I mean, there's 88 different nationalities of people that work for the United Nations. And it really is this incredible building with incredible people from all over the world. I got involved with some volunteering work, helping out with um, the UNHCR, which is the United Nations High Commission for Refugees and that sort of thing. And it's just another world. And it really broadened my horizons. I bumped into an Irish girl who was traveling and we got chatting and she said that she was taking the train the next day to to Austria to get a visa to go to Hungary. And I said, oh, I've never been to Hungary. So she said, why don't you come with me? And I said, well, actually, my contract's just finished at the UN. And she said, well, come with me. So hmm. I did, just like that. Free spirits. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up on this train with her and uh, we got to uh, Vienna, got our visa and went off to Hungary, uh, to Budapest and had an incredible time. She fell in love straight away. So I left her there. And then I ended up on another train that went through Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, down to Greece. And I blagged my way into a job in uh, Corfu and I ended up working there. I had, I, I left with a hundred Swiss francs in my pocket. And in those days you didn't have mobile phones. My mother didn't speak to me because she was so livid. You know, she said, for goodness sake, what are you doing, girl on your own? And I mean, I was, you know, I was sleeping rough. I was sleeping on benches and railway stations and, and that sort of thing on my way through the countries. What a brave girl. Uh, or stupid. I wouldn't want my daughter to do that right now. I think it's a different world. Well, with all this background, including marketing and sales, how did you decide to go to voiceovers? I then came back to uh, the UK many years after that. And I was working in all different uh, areas of sales and marketing uh, for companies like Bausch & Lomb, who used to make Ray-Ban sunglasses. And I moved into human resources and I was running sales teams. And then I was in a stone fabrication company. And then I worked for a company uh, as a an account executive who went out on the field and did presentation work and that sort of thing. In 2004, um, I got really, really ill. I had meningitis and I was hospitalized and uh, I nearly, nearly died. And it kind of opens up your whole perspective in life. And I just thought to myself, you know what, I can't do this, working to meet targets and that sort of thing. So um, I packed it in and I started a sandwich business, which became very, very successful very quickly. But sadly, uh, 12 weeks after opening that business, my daughter, who was just coming up to her 18th birthday, was tragically and suddenly killed in a car accident. And our whole world fell apart. And for many months, um, I didn't really do anything. Um, my business failed because I just couldn't get out of bed. And when I did get out of bed, I didn't want to do anything. I felt very depressed. And this went on really um, until about 2006. And I sort of had a eureka moment where I, I knew that I needed to get on with my life. And I still had Abby, who was only nine when her sister died. And she also died on my son's 19th birthday, which, you know, is tragic. So I, I had to be strong for them and not allow myself to fall together. So I had to get my act together, basically. And so I, I, I tried some jobs and I tried working with people. But the last thing I could do was work in an office, listening to people bitching about their husbands and moaning about their kids. And, you know, when I was feeling so vulnerable and 
I joined um, an amateur dramatic society where I was living and I started doing more acting, which I used to love. And it helped me to take myself out of that situation. And it just kind of naturally evolved. And I ended up going to London and I did some voice coaching with Steve Hudson, who's very well known in the BBC. And he taught me, he taught me a lot, actually. He taught me more than just how to become a voiceover artist. Um, He really helped me with my grief. He made me feel so much more than a grieving mother who had had this wonderful life and who was miserable as, as anything. And I loved it. I remember the first thing he asked me to do was a an advert for chocolate, to sell chocolate. And it had to be a bit sensual, you know, and, and I really went overboard and he just, he, he cried. And I thought, oh, I can do this. This is really good fun. <laughs> so I kind of fell into it by accident. And he said, you know, you can do this from home, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, wow, okay. So off I went and I did loads and loads of research and we built my studio. And I got my ISDN box, which I had to borrow money for because I didn't have the money to buy it because it was just so expensive in those days. And then I got myself an agent and I started getting more and more work and I loved it. And it it enabled me to be somebody else and to take on different personas and to get through the day. And if I needed a duvet day because I was struggling with my grief, then I, I could. Can I say that actually voiceovers was your way to cope with grief? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, when I started, there wasn't the same internet uh, presence that we have now where everybody can talk on Facebook. There just wasn't. We we didn't have that that niche and that network. And I think people coming into the industry now are very lucky because there's such a huge amount of support and learning. And I was sort of grappling in the dark, really. And, and there were times when I felt very lonely. I must admit, it's not for everybody. And it's hard work. And you've got to you've got to learn to take rejection. And yes. You know, um, because there's a lot of doors that close and you have to make sure that you don't take that personally and just get on with it. And I think I, I'm quite resilient, I think. You know, I've had quite a lot of stuff thrown at me over the years and you just have to keep going. And my determination carried me forward. And then I met somebody who told me about this conference called Vox. And uh, I thought, oh, that would be good. So I went on my own. I didn't know anybody. And the first person I met was Katie Moore, who I'm really, really close friends with now. And she's an actress. And we just bonded and we had a good old laugh. And we look back at it now. And she'd sadly gone through a similar thing. Um, She'd lost her husband on the same year that I'd lost Kelly. And we we just gelled. And through her, I met... Um, loads of other voiceovers and and other agents. And that was the first opening where I thought, this is my profession. I can actually do this for a living. And I loved it. And since then, you have created such a wonderful network of uh, colleagues who have turned to be your friends over the years. I know. It's great, isn't it? I mean, yes. we are amazing, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I've been to so many of those social yeah. uh, voiceover events and I absolutely love the spirit and the atmosphere and how friendly and nice is everyone yeah, there. Yeah, it's magical, actually. Um, I've met, I, I, I use the word magical and it sounds a bit dramatic, but it, I don't know many people that can do a job for a living that makes the hair stand up on the back of their neck every time they stand in front of a microphone. And I mean, I can feel it right now talking to you and sharing 
the very obvious excitement that you have for it. And I think that's what does it. And it spurs you on, you know, and working with fantastic producers and, you know, acting the goat and getting paid for it. Woohoo! <laughs> Who doesn't want to do that? <laughs> Going back to the most dramatic event in your life, yes. losing your daughter Kelly, I'm not surprised to hear that voiceovers have helped you to cope with uh, your mm. grief. You also have been campaigning for many years for the road safety charity, Safe Drive, Stay Alive. Can you tell me more about this? Yes, I have. Yeah. Safe Drive, Stay Alive is a uh, is an initiative that was run by, well, it was started by a firefighter who tragically was very badly burnt, lost both of his legs um, on a motorbike. And his wife was on the back and unfortunately she died. It was young drivers who were joyriding who were responsible for his um, his demise. He started this Safe Drive, Stay Alive uh, campaign. So Surrey Fire and Rescue Service, um, together with Surrey Police uh, and the local uh, hospital in Guildford, they all partnered together, together with CCAM, which is the um, South East Ambulance Service. And they had other people who were, inverted commas, victims of, of road traffic collisions. And they put on a production. They filmed a video of young kids who are either just finishing school or at school age or just learning to drive and getting in people's cars. And they 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 did this video that basically is kids getting into a car, going out for a night. They've done nothing wrong, so no one's apportioning any blame. And this story evolves and then they have this most awful car accident and they hit a tree and one of them dies and the other one the other uh, i think there were four of them in the car so they end up in hospital and then and then at each stage they stop the video on the stage comes out a real firefighter or a real police officer or a real paramedic who actually you know they're not actors they actually do this for a living uh, so this was the first one of its kind it was started in surrey and the first one was in february 2005 when my daughter Kelly was at um, Guildford College at Merrist Wood. Anyway, she went uh, and they, they, they had to go. It wasn't something that, that, that they were allowed to choose to do. Um, and she came home that night and at the age of 17, she had, she had passed her driving test in the October prior. She sat on my knee and she sobbed and she cried and she said, oh, mum, it was awful. There was a woman on stage who'd lost her son uh, to a drink driver who was young and he went through a red light. I really felt her pain and she said it was so incredible, this this whole thing. And she cried and cried and I cried and I thought, oh my, that poor mother, how on earth do you ever get over? Which, of course, you don't. You never get over it. So when we lost Kelly only three months after that, um, the boy whose car she was in, he didn't go to this show. So I don't know if that would have made a difference, but it it kind of, I think when you're grieving and you're in shock, you kind of get this desire to be able to cope and you search for something it's like when people get cancer you know they they run marathons and they raise money and that sort of thing I just felt I needed to represent Kelly as more than just a statistic because in those days there were 67 deaths a year uh, on the roads in Surrey and just in Surrey you know and the 18 to 25 group 
of, of kids are the ones that are vulnerable. So I wanted to become part of it. So I, I phoned them and one of the firefighters came and interviewed me and we cried together and we laughed together. And I told her, I told him about Kelly and Kelly's best friend at the time, who was obviously struggling with it. She wrote a poem and she she read this poem out uh, at the, the next Safe Drive Stay Alive show. I stepped on the stage, I told my story and I took her shoes with me on the stage, which was quite a dramatic thing to do, her empty shoes sitting standing on the stage next to me and I told my story and I told them about the pain and the suffering and the shock and the ripple effects of how it affects people and it it's a very very hard hitting show did you feel that you have really made a difference with your contribution over the years absolutely so i did it for 10 years and now my daughter abby is doing it it's tiring it's it's it takes a lot out of you emotionally and physically but yes we've had feedback now they've i think to date they have spoken to 150,000 students since 2005 and we know that the figures have come right down i think it's in the 20s now in surrey 20 deaths per year which is still too much but but from 67 to 20 Uh, and it's become well known when we when it first was launched uh, a lot of the students were like oh god I've got to go to this road safety thing and it's got such a name for it now that it's like wow yeah and it's so amazing we've got our own facebook page and our own website it's amazing and definitely had a massive impact have you ever incorporated your passion to be a campaigner and volunteer in your voiceover career and have you ever had to you know voice passionately a campaign for a call that you strongly believe in. Yes, I have actually. Uh, in fact, um I I've struggled with my mental health. Our whole family have ever since this has happened. You know, I mean, people talk about it, people don't talk about it, but I've had my moments where I've thought I can't do this anymore. I feel so low, which is why I sort of act the fool a lot of the time because it it helps. <laughs> but in a dark dark moment, I was very very close to calling the Samaritans, and I know that another member of our family has um and it's really had an effect and i got a script through one day um and i voiced it and it was about the samaritans and it really resonated with me you. yeah really really did and i think i did the best i could do in that and ironically and i think you know this in 2018 i won an award for it at the one voice awards for uh, radio commercials best female performance very well deserved winning an award is great but that's as you know that's not why we do this it's nice to get an award but the fact that it was the samaritans meant so much to me it really did and um, i was very proud of that you should be very proud of that and this is an example of how our personal experiences can actually fuel our performance in voice acting Oh definitely yes yeah yeah you can use the emotion and you know sometimes you have to sound sad or a bit mad <laughs> you have to draw on your both. own experience yeah to be able yeah. to bring that emotion yeah. no you really do and and I think that's why it helps me actually and I think that's why a lot of people a lot of actors and a lot of voiceovers are very incredible people with a lot of passion and and sort of romantics really is there something that you wouldn't agree to voice Do you know, <laughs> I I get phone calls as I'm sure you do and lots of people do saying you've been in, involved in a car accident. Oh yeah. Well, you can imagine how I feel when I get one of those and I can honestly say hand on heart that I question these people. I mean, some of them are actually recorded. 
I can I can a real understand person has recorded these messages. I know, a real person. I mean, is that a voiceover artist that's done that? The other thing is the PPI things. I mean, for goodness sake, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, I think anything that um, invades people's privacy when they haven't asked for that, um, I think, yeah, I would. Anything that doesn't resonate with your moral and core Absolutely. values. Absolutely. Yeah. I once had to do an adult recording. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Couldn't possibly. It's a lot of breathing. <laughs> I have also had something similar in the past, like many, many, many years ago when I had yeah. to voice a commercial. One of those that are aired on special channels. <laughs> oh, well, you know, if it pays the bills, you know. Like, I don't think I could do that again. What are the most exciting and the most challenging voiceover projects that you have worked on? Well, there's a couple that I can't talk about because of the good old um, NDAs. We all know what yes. those are, non-disclosure agreements. So the really exciting ones, <sighs> I can't say. But what I did do was uh, when Microsoft were bringing out Windows 7, a few years back now, uh, I I got the call and it was a fantastic job and I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And so I auditioned for that. And um, so I became the voice of Windows 7 on the operating system when it first was launched. And that was that was great. It's nice to do things that you learn something from, isn't it? I love character voicing. I love comedy. Anything that's got a bit of a, a laugh to it. You know, you need to dig deep for those sorts of roles. And I love that. Do you know what? I might be boring, but I do like the corporate reads. Yeah. I mean, okay, you know, it, it can be a bit boring when you're talking about health and safety for hours on end but some things are really interesting I mean I did one for um, a really good cause it was all about ADHD and about the medication and and um, about eating the right things and that sort of thing and it actually helped me with somebody I know who who struggles with that I just love voicing and I just love talking as you know <laughs> and that's what it's all about really when you love your job you don't mind really venturing into new areas no, exactly. And I think I think that's what's so great about this, that every day is a challenge, you know, and every day is different. You have a very strong relationship with your daughter, Abby, who is also a voice actor. As a parent to parent, I would love to hear your tips on how to create that kind of deep and meaningful relationship with your daughter. Do you know, Yulia, I, I've thought about this because I know, I, you know, Abby is a very special girl. And she was the third child. Um, I was married before and my knight in shining armor, who is my, my current husband, uh, keep him on his toes. He took me on with my first two children who were very small uh, when I found myself as a single parent. And so when Abby came along, she was another bit of magic in our lives. And she was spoiled rotten by her bro big brother and sister. And because of that, she became quite cheeky. She was very knowing. She was often with adults and she was very close to her brother and sister. And Kelly was like a second mum to her. And when we tragically lost Kelly, for Abby, you know, it was a, it was a really difficult time. Well, for all of us, but as a nine-year-old child, losing your idol. And she spent the last day of Kelly's life with her all day. Uh, you know, it was so difficult for her. So she struggled. And I think what we, it, it sort of pushed us together. I mean, there's no magic formula in parenting and nobody gives you a manual, do they? I mean, it's really hard to be a parent and to, to, to try and find that balance of a friend, but still having that ability to maybe 
instigate rules and, and, and that sort of thing. But with Abby, she was she was um, very vulnerable from the age of nine um, and a bit of a handful, actually, if I may say so. But I think because she's seen so much pain, it made her quite resilient. You know, Sean and I have a very strong bond and a very good relationship. And I think she's had good role modeling. Uh, all we've all we've tried to do is be there for her and to include her a lot in what we do and make life interesting. And, you know, when I first started voicing, <laughs> she used to be in her bedroom next door. And she'd come and she'd say, oh, mum, for God's sake, do you have to speak like that? For goodness <laughs> sake, I can't bear it. She said, it's awful. So I, was, I thought, oh, okay. I thought she'd be really proud of me, but she, was, she wasn't at all. She, Is this how she fell in love yeah. with voiceovers as well? <laughs> well, it must be. I mean, it's an irony, isn't it, now? So I, I always yeah. tease her about that. But when she became 14, she, uh, one of my clients asked if I knew of anybody about that age and whether, she, whether they would be interested in, in working. So I told her that she'd get 60 pounds if she wanted to do it. And suddenly she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and she was really good because she's an actress um, through and through. And she studied it at university and she used her voice a lot in her degree. And she, I think she realized the power of it and the passion uh, and what you can do with it. So I think that's that's kind of why we have this special bond. I think we were always going to have a special bond anyway because she was a magical child and she really, you know, brought us all together as a family. And I just love her to bits. And she's, you know, she's... She's hellish. a wonderful girl. Oh, yes. she's hellishly talented. I absolutely hate her because she's always getting jobs that I want. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you if there was any competition <gasps> between you no. two since you both work in the same industry. <laughs> no, I just hate her. <laughs> yeah, no, there is. Of course there is. She was up for an award when I when I won mine. Did I mention I won an award? <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, so we were both in the same category for that. And I was so shocked when I got it because I, uh, with all the other people that were in it. But seeing her standing up and clapping and she videoed the whole thing, she was so proud of me. And obviously, you know, she's got gigs that I would have liked. And I'm so proud of her. And um, we and I'm sure that you help each other. each other. We do. We help each other all the time. We're always bouncing off each other. And I mean, I miss her terribly because she lives in England, you know, with the powers of Zoom and FaceTime. And I mean, God knows where we'd be without that now in this situation. But we're always talking and she'll, she'll say, oh, I've just had this job in. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. You know, so we do bounce off each other. And one thing I would say is a lot of people are under the misconception that I got her into voicing and I, categor I categorically didn't. Uh, she's got a lot of the clients off her own back. I mean, obviously, she's been exposed to it. She had the, the use of the studio uh, and all the rest of it. So she was lucky from that respect. But you know what she's got? She's got talent and she's, she's good at what she does. So and she was just on the panel uh, this weekend, I think, at the One Voice Conference. I don't know if you saw that panel. But yes, she, on the she was, panel. Yes, she? Yeah, yeah, she was. I didn't you see have... it because unfortunately I couldn't come this year. But she must be she's... a very proud mum. I'm very proud. Can you tell? <laughs> she's going to be cringing now. She's going to be going, oh my God, mother. <laughs> you must be looking forward to see each other. Yeah, I just, it, you know what? I miss that hug. That's what I'm missing. We can't hug anymore, can we? Ugh. I'm giving you a virtual hug. Bella, do you have any tips for people who are thinking of starting out as a voice actor? Yeah, don't do it because I want your jobs. <laughs> <laughs> like I said a minute ago, I think 
nowadays you're very lucky if you're going to start out just make sure you get some really good advice there's more to it than holding a duvet over your head and having a, a, a cheap microphone you know you have to have talent as well and you have to know your own strengths and your own weaknesses and and don't be shy about knowing those and not trying to do things that you're not as good at you know not everybody can do like Mark Silk, you know, can um, all these incredible cartoon voices. Um, if you're not good at that, don't do it and stick to what you're good at. But th there's some fantastic places that you can join and that you can just go on the internet now. There's so many webinars and that sort of thing. So really learn your craft and don't be worried about taking rejection. You have to, that's part of the course, isn't it? You know, you have to learn that you're not going to get every job you go for and just carry on and do the next one and audition, audition, audition. There are so many fantastic learning platforms out there like oh, Ready yeah. for the Brain and yep. the VoiceOver Network yep. where you can become a member and then yeah, decide yeah. if this is for you. Yes, don't go out and buy everything um, really, really expensive straight out. You know, maybe use somebody else's studio for a while and, and learn your craft before you start because it is expensive. I mean, you know, I'm not going to go on about how much money I've spent, but I spent an awful lot of money on my equipment because it's so important. But I didn't do that until I knew that this was definitely for me and that I could actually do this as a profession and for living. And also, one thing's really important, don't take these offers of free, you know, doing things for free. Oh, if you do this, you'll get great exposure because it undermines the whole concept of our profession and our industry. Yeah. What else do you have on your radar for your future life? We've got lots on our radar. As you know, we have a boat that's unfortunately in England. It's a sailing boat that we adore. It was kind of our therapy. Um, we used to sail a lot and we took Kelly sailing in, in the Greek islands and um, we had great times. When uh, I think it was 2009, so four years after Kelly died, um, we bought a tiny little boat and we lived it ate and breathed on it um, and we used to go out every weekend and it was a really small feisty boat and then when Sean retired we bought a bigger boat which we now have and we sailed across the channel and we we went around all the um, Channel Islands to Jersey, Guernsey and Sark and Herm and all those beautiful places we did the north coast of France went to fishing villages and we love it I mean it, it's just so therapeutic and such a, a, a free existence you know nothing like dropping an anchor in a very quiet bay and having a barbecue on the back of the boat and having a glass of wine and watching the dolphins you know that kind of stuff it's it's stuff of magic it really is so that's on our radar we want to bring our boat down to France also it's a bit it's very early days but um Sean and I have actually just uh, applied for a very well-known television program a reality tv program and no it's nothing naughty and I'm hoping that that will come true because it's uh, it's a program it's about traveling so I won't say more because mm. I don't want to say what it is but I'm hoping we get that that, that would be looking great. forward to learn more about it when the time comes yes. yeah let, let's hope so so keep your fingers crossed for us power to everybody you know we've all got to uh, be alert as as Boris said be alert <laughs> Yeah, we've just got to take it easy and, and be careful. But as soon as I can, I want to get back over to the UK and see Abby, of course. Bella, thank you so much for this uh, lovely chat. You are such a fun and wonderful person. Thank you. Thank you. It's been really nice. It's so lovely to talk to you, Julia. You're always such a pleasure to speak to. And um, I have to say, I can't go without saying thank you, Chatterbots, because I think you are top agents and I love working with you guys. So cheers. Chatterbox Hub. Thank you for listening to this podcast with the amazing Della Phillips.
I hope you felt just like I did, deeply touched and inspired by Della and the story of her life. In our next episode, host Camilla Luxton will be chatting to another insightful and inspiring guest. Stay tuned. Chat the Box Hobby.